Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. We're presented, as always, by BetOnline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts, the exclusive partner of the Podcast One Sports Network, of which this podcast is part of. Use that promo code PODCAST1. Receive the 50% sign-up bonus today. Music underscoring me from the one and only Sam Brandt, producer extraordinaire, is Brian Neal. We will get to our guest today. It is the one and only Oliver Luck. He is the commissioner of the XFL, which starts play this weekend. Yes, the long off season of the NFL does have football. It's in the form of the XFL. Oliver's an old friend. We were general managers together in the World League, have known each other forever. We're just happy to uh, continue our conversation on this forum, on the podcast You will enjoy hearing from Oliver about what is in store for the XFL ahead. First, a rant. We were recording this on the day after Super Bowl 54. I was down there. I was lucky enough to give my son the experience to meet some players. He met his favorite pro player, Aaron Jones, on the Packers. He met his favorite college player, Jerry Judy, from Alabama. We met Jameis Winston. We had a nice visit with him. It was really exciting just that as a dad, you just want that experience for your kids and uh, glad we had it. I was down there just a couple days. I never do stay for the game. I would have if the Packers were in it, of course, but they weren't. And again, when you're at the Super Bowl, it's a lot of meet and greet. It's a lot of people. It's kind of a convention for the NFL and it's a lot of parties and the parties are all about networking and people entertaining. And I was lucky enough that this company I'm involved with, Vayner Sports and Gary V. Had a big party Friday night at the Guitar Hotel, the Hard Rock Casino. Ray Lewis was there. Chris Berman was there. Lawrence Taylor, Jim Brown. Great to see them. A lot of young players as well. Uh, Nice experience to have and uh, always important to sort of show my face, press the flesh during that time with the Super Bowl. Very much enjoyed it being there. Okay, a note about the game. I thought the four Niners would win. I talked about that here. I thought that they had better lines on both sides of the ball. I thought the running game would continue to do well. And I thought, again, I think as everybody's trying to break down, I thought they got away from it uh, sooner than they should have with the running game. They were having some gains, but that's going to be Monday morning quarterback forever with Kyle Shanahan as it was years ago when he was coordinating the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, you know, it was a good game. It wasn't a uh, scintillating game, but it was a close game and it was an exciting game. And of course, I, like everyone, has a lot of warm feelings for Andy Reid. I've talked about Andy Reid. I think I told the story before. I'll tell it again here. I might as well. I met Andy Reid in 1998, representing Matt Hasselback, quarterback out of Boston College. Couldn't get him invited to the Combine, so we had a one-day tryout. We invited every scout coach in the NFL, only one said an RSVP that it was coming. That was the quarterback coach of the Green Bay Packers named Andy Reid. I said, all right, great. I'll pick you up. Pick him up at Logan Airport in Boston. Number one, I had never seen Andy Reid. Number two, I had a tiny little sports car. So we laughed. I <laughs> stuffed him in there like a jack-in-the-box. And we went over to Matt's workout. And he loved Matt. He drafted Matt. And Matt loved him. Start of an 18-year career for Matt Hasselbeck. Got to know Andy very well through that. And then, of course, when I moved back here from Green Bay, back in Philadelphia, I didn't want to go work for a team, but Andy and Joe Banner, the president of the Eagles, called, and I did some work for them for a couple of years. Just they were moving Howie Roseman from capping contracts to personnel. They needed to trust someone to do the contracts. So I got in there and got to know Andy. I got to see him run the team very much like Ron Wolf ran it in Green Bay. 
a lot of input from scouts, very calm and cool. You know, Andy Reid is a true, and I say this in a very admirable way, he's a flatliner. He's a flatliner. He is someone that doesn't get testy with the media and doesn't share much at all with them and can joke around, but, you know, he's just one way. Before, during, after, wins, losses, terrible losses, terrible, great wins. I mean, you know, he was excited, happy in his all his interviews last night, but he wasn't a lot different than just a normal win. I mean, that's that's Andy, and I think that served him well through, obviously, what's going on in his life, personal tragedy, getting fired by the Eagles, getting a job a few days later. You know, he's just a good guy, and there's kudos coming in from all walks of life. He's an extremely loyal guy. I looked at that sideline. A lot of those people were from his early time in Philadelphia that just stayed with him, stayed with him throughout. Uh, he's just incredibly loyal to friends and has so many around the league. And now he's got a progeny with coaches like uh, coming out of the Andy Reid system, like a John Harbaugh, like a Doug Peterson, like Matt Nagy, and more. So we'll see where it goes uh, with the Chiefs. Everyone's thinking, you know, we have this recency bias. They're going to win multiple Super Bowls. We know it's much harder than that. But as always, they got the guy. And once you have the guy, and I'll do a podcast on his upcoming contract and Pat Mahomes, once you got the guy, you're set. I mean, yeah, things can go different ways. Things can get squirrely with your defense. You never know what's going to happen with injuries. But that's the the warmest feeling in the world for a front office is know you have the guy. And not just the guy, but the best guy. So we'll see where it goes with the Chiefs. Um, But football's over. And NFL-wise, for seven months, not another meaningful snap till the second week of September or first week of September. Man, that's a long time, but I'll get you through it. You know, the business of football takes over. We will talk about it in depth right here on this podcast. And to sort of take you through the lull, through the doldrums, through the, uh, the lonely, dark times of no football, we have football. And it's being hosted by the XFL, the brainchild of Commissioner uh, Oliver Luck and his boss, Vince McMahon of the World Wrestling Enterprise. You know, this is uh, the XFL was 2001. It was a gimmicky league. This is going to be less gimmicky. You're going to hear Oliver talk about that. Oliver Luck comes from a background with me. Uh, He's a former player. He was at the World League with me. And of course, major jobs in college athletics, running West Virginia athletics, uh, number two guy at the NCAA, wanted to be a little more progressive, I know, than the commissioner of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. He left there to join the XFL, where he's commissioner for the past couple of years. They've had a nice, nice runway into the season starting this weekend. So without further ado, the commissioner of the XFL set to take stage this weekend, a week after the Super Bowl, the one and only father of Andrew Luck, which I'm sure he doesn't like being called, Oliver Luck. You know, I think it was 1991, how about that, <laughs> where I met with a GM of the Minnesota Vikings. He looked me up and down. He said, do you speak Barcelonan? <laughs> <laughs> and I said... Mike Lynn was his name. And I said, uh, yeah, you know, I took it in high school. Yeah. He said, how'd you like to be the general manager of the Barcelona Dragons? And I said, what's that? And he said, so starting a new, new team, new league, world league, overseas, looking for these young rock and roll GMs, going to run the teams. Would you do it? <laughs> 
I'm young and single, and uh, I'm like, okay. And then I uh, and then I took the job. Another of those young rock and roll GMs is with me now. My friend, longtime colleague, friend, confidant, Oliver Luck. How about that story to start it off? Yeah, th- those were interesting days, you know, with the old World League of American Football, the WLAF, maybe the worst yeah. acronym ever. We laugh. You know? <laughs> we laugh. Yes. And and you're absolutely right. I was I was just married, uh, had you know had one child who obviously you know uh, grew up to be a pretty good quarterback. So we yeah. went over there, you know, probably like you, Andrew, thinking, oh, this might last a year or two, <laughs> but it'll be kind of fun, you know. Yeah, in and, my uh, case, for, it for, did. The sake, for the sake <laughs> of your listeners, uh, you, you ended up in Barcelona right on the beach and I ended up in, in sort of dowdy, overcast central Germany, Frankfurt. Yeah, the good part for me was the beach and was Barcelona compared to dowdy Frankfurt. The bad part was my crew, my audience compared to yours. They cheered at the wrong times. They did the wave <laughs> the entire game long. They, I had a, I don't know if I told you this. I had a fan committee, and the guy says to me, "I said, what are we doing? What do you, what do you like? What do you don't like?" He says, "Andrew, too many meetings." I'm like, "What do you mean meetings? You run a play, then you meet, then you run another play, and you meet. Stop with the meetings." <laughs> I said, "Well, they're huddles. We do that. No, no, no more." And uh, I went to our coach, Jack Pignell. They don't like the meetings. What are meetings? Huddles. Well, screw them. (laughs) This is what I was doing with Spain. You're right in the sense that the the German audience had been probably exposed a bit more just because of the of the presence of American troops. So you think about you know all the the U.S. you know Army and Air Force primarily troops that were stationed in Germany you know post World War II. And a place like Frankfurt, which was a real hub. In fact, you know, the Frankfurt Airport was really the old Rhine Main Air Base. So uh, right. I think I think the Germans were a little bit far ahead. But the first points you remember this: the first points scored ever in a World League of American football game. London was playing Frankfurt in Frankfurt. It was the first game ever. Mike Lynn, speaking yep. of him, was there. The first points scored were safety, and that was really hard to explain to the Germans you know, <laughs> during a live game, right? Well, it's a segue, nonetheless. A lot of stops later for both of us, and uh, you had some well-publicized stops along the way, including AD at West Virginia, and of course the number two guy at the NCAA. But here you are, commissioner of the XFL, and I guess I'll start there. So, what parallels do you see to starting up a new league, albeit overseas, albeit a minor league, in for the NFL? whatever that is, 20, 30-something years ago, 29 years ago, uh, compared to now? There are a lot of similarities, as I think you'd expect. You know, just sort of building the foundation for a league, and you realize, you know, the hundreds of things that you have to do and obviously do well, you know, starting with, you know, coaches and players and rules and training camp. And, and obviously it's a little bit easier logistically to do it in the U S where people understand football than it was yeah. over in, in, in Europe where you really had to sort of Jerry rig a, a training facility together. 
because obviously the you know the, we didn't own anything over there, nor do we own anything in a sense in terms of property and facilities here. Uh, much easier to deal with stadiums in the U.S. because they obviously understand the game of football over in Europe. It was a real challenge. Uh, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of building an audience and and uh, attracting people who are interested. You know, for the for the Europeans, I think the big challenge, you know, was how do you explain the game so that people can begin to understand it, know, you know, why somebody, you know, uh, ran on second down and threw on third down because of the things we take for granted. Right, the Europeans didn't because they didn't have any real deep understanding of the game. Uh, in the in the U.S., it's obviously a little bit different. People understand the game. You know, it's saying, why do you want to play in the springtime? You know, there's got to be. You know, there, there's so much football in the fall with the NFL and college. Why why is there a need for an additional you know league? So I think the challenges are a little bit different, but there's certainly a lot of similarities. And it starts at the end of the day with getting good people you know in place. In my case, it was getting really good coaches on board, uh, you know, sort of football staff at the league and the team level on board. And then, you know, signing, as we tried to do, the best 500, 600 players not under contract to the NFL or, you know, to the CFL for that matter, but getting the best possible players you could. Speaking of getting the best people, obviously you can go into this as much or a little as you want, but you've got quite a gig at the NCAA and you're – you're an indie watching your son play. And uh, Vince McMahon, Worldwide Wrestling, comes to you and says this to you. So so what was that like? What was your attraction? What brought you there? Well, um, I had been aware vaguely, really, that you know, back, I think, about two years ago, would have been sort of January, February of 2018, when Vince announced that he was bringing the XFL back. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really pay much attention to it. I was, you know, thoroughly enjoying my uh, NCAA role. Uh, as you know, there's lots of challenges that the NCAA and college athletics in general uh, are is, is facing. So uh, there was plenty of work to do there. But I spent a couple of days with Vince. I'd never met him before, and spent a couple of days with him. And I had, you know, uh, a little bit of skepticism because of what happened in 2001. Uh, you, you like, like I did, you know, remember that. Right. And, uh, but I became convinced after, you know, spending some time with Vince that, you know, he wanted to build a, a league this time around in sort of a proper sense, right. Uh, you know, build a strong foundation, you know, do not engage in any sort of gimmicks. And I think that was a big criticism back in 2001. So we wanted to avoid all gimmicks. We wanted to play real football. Um, you know, the game, I think in, in some respects has sort of changed from where it was around the turn of the century to today, 20 years ago. Things are a little bit different. I think the game is being played at the highest possible level. I mean, it's mm-hmm. un- unbelievable to me when I look at sort of my generation back in the 70s and 80s, uh, and then even look at, at, at my kids' generation, Andrew's generation, you know, the, the, the talent, the skill sets are off the charts. Yeah. Uh, so I think the game has been elevated in, in, a, in a big way. And that means that the players that would be available to us are that much better, right? Because they've, they've you know, improved themselves along with everybody else. Right. Uh, but I got a sense that, that he was very interested in building it the, you know, the right way. Uh, he's got great, uh, you know, experience building companies. Obviously a very successful entrepreneur, Vince is, with, you know, WWE. Uh, great connections with broadcasters. And obviously in today's world, you know, uh, that's a, a critical relationship that any sports league needs. 
and I, I you know, became convinced that he was willing to give me, you know, a lot of uh, space, if you will, to sort of hire the kind of coaches I wanted to hire, you know, do the football things that, that I believed uh, were important. You know, and again, those are things that, that I learned like, like you did back in, in, you know, in the old NFL Europe world league of American football days. So, uh, and I, I will say everything that I've been on the job now for about a year and a half, everything that I expected has, has happened in terms of Vince giving me the support and the space to build the league the, the way that uh, I wanted to. You talked about the first resurrection of the XFL. So how, <clears throat> no, we'll talk about all the rules changes and the differences in the NFL and the, the moving clock and all that. But you said you wanted it to be more football, I guess, pure rather than some of the gimmicks of the past. So explain why that is now. I mean, um, why, I guess the question is why aren't these other things we're going to talk about quote unquote gimmicks? Yeah, that, that's a very fair question. So we started this process by talking to fans. We interacted right. with about 6,000 passionate football fans, did a bunch of focus groups, a lot of market research. And we asked fans, tell us what you'd like. Tell us what you don't like about professional football. And you know, these are diehard fans. These are people that you know, live and die with you know, both college ball as well as pro ball, but we focus primarily on the, on the professional game. And what they came back with, you know, and I'm generalizing now, but what they came back with really wasn't surprising. They basically said, hey, we love professional football. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't, right? It's the most popular sport in the country. We love professional football. But if we were king for a day, emperor for a day, and could change the rules, we'd do a couple of things. You know, the game drags on sometimes. Right. Uh, we'd like a little bit less idle time and a little bit more action. You know, cut down on some of the dead time. And that's a you know that's that's due to lots of different things you know commercials obviously it's a very profitable game for you know a lot of different people so you got to pay the bills uh, but you know uh, replay reviews all these things that sort of drag a game out and in my mind I think what these fans are saying to us is you know go back to the future go back to the 70s with the old AFL games right where you you had offensive high scoring games. Uh, you know, they all got done in three hours. I think you're old enough, Andrew, uh, to remember the Heidi game, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, back in the, you know, the, the, the Jets and Joe Namath and the Raiders and Daryl LaMonica played a phenomenal game, but because it lasted, you know, one or two minutes into hour number four, <laughs> the network cut away. <laughs> of course, before the internet, people freaked out, most notably the gamblers. <laughs> but um, so we tried to take that in, you know, that all that information and then sort of build our game around that. So, you know, the first starting point was saying, let's have a 25 second clock, uh, not a 40 second clock like uh, the NFL had. Mm -hmm. Let's have a 25 second clock, um, but let's help our, our, our coaches and our offensive players by having, for example, the offensive coach calling the plays. He's not just calling the play to the quarterback, right, through the headset, right, through the, you know, electronic system. Uh, we, we've put headsets in all of our offensive skilled players. Mm. So a wide out who, you know, runs a deep route and is jogging back for the next play doesn't have to run all the way into the huddle. As he's jogging back, he's hearing the play yeah. call from the head coach. So he knows where to line up, et cetera. So I think we tried to be smart and say, let's play fast, but let's make sure we give the tools to our coaches and our players to play fast football, but it's still got to be good football. 
so all the things we looked at, we, we tried to make sure that the underlying rationale, you know, uh, made some sense. And there were a number of things, uh, and I'll, I'll go through one of them, uh, the, our punt. There were a number of things where we said, you know, let's, let's try to make the game safer, right? It's a violent game. It's a physical mm-hmm. game. We all know that. Uh, but 20 years ago, people really weren't talking about, you know, safety, let alone brain safety. And now, of course, it's, you know, top of mind. So, you know, we said, let's make sure as we go through these rule changes and go through potential modifications of the NFL rulebook, let's make sure that uh, at least we're not going backward in terms of health and safety. Ideally, you know, we're making improvements and making the game safer. So in our punt, real simple, in our punt, uh, you know, we don't allow the gunners to leave at the snap like the NFL does. Our gunners have to hold until the ball is kicked, right? They can't cross the line of scrimmage until the ball is kicked. That gives the punt returner... I don't know, three, uh, about two or three seconds more time uh, to, to field the ball and begin a return. Right. And what it does is avoid that, you know, that brutal hit, right? Uh, that collision where everybody cringes when the punter just, you know, the punt returner just catches that ball and gets lit up, right? right. So um, as we did all these sort of innovations, we wanted to make sure that we had some health and safety folks that were consulting with us. Uh, Kevin Guskowitz, who's the mm-hmm. chancellor of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and a l- former athletic trainer who loves the game, Julian Bales, the Steelers, former team right. doctor now at Northwestern. We had a bunch of guys that looked at all of the things we were recommending to make sure that we you know, were, were giving due consideration to health and safety. So we, we think uh, the changes aren't gimmicky at all. Uh, we think they're all grounded in a good, solid rationale. We think they'll help us do what – fans wanted us to do, which is to play this up-tempo, fast-paced game. So that's kind of the way we, we looked at it. And I think at the end of the day, if people tune in, and I think a lot of folks will, or you know, are at the stadium watching the game, they'll see a few things that are different, but the vast majority uh, of rules that we have are NFL rules. You know, The NFL rulebook probably is about 98% you know, of what we have in our game. So uh, mo- yeah, it's going to look very, very similar. We like to say look very familiar, but a little bit unique. Well, you brought it up. Let me go over a quick sort of rapid fire on two or three other rule differences than the NFL, because I think they're neat and worth talking about. I'll just let you explain. Multiple forward passes. So here's the thought process from from this old quarterback. Uh, You know, the, the, the typical quarterback in the old day, old days was under center and he'd whip out a quick, you know, uh, sort of bubble screen out to his receiver and, you know, great trick play is because it's a lateral that receiver can take a step back and throw the ball down the field. We love that play. It's not a staple. It's not like a sweep or a draw, but you know, it's kind of a fun play. That play hardly takes place anymore because most quarterbacks are in the shotgun. They're five, six yards deep. And in order to, for that receiver to catch a pass, a lateral, he'd have to be seven or eight yards deep. So that play has sort of disappeared. So we said, you know, why don't we allow the quarterback to throw the ball forward as long as the ball doesn't cross the line of scrimmage? And then the receiver can, you know, can, can throw a, a second pass, a second forward pass. It's not really as crazy as it sounds because basically the ball is, you know, it doesn't, doesn't cross the line of scrimmage. So we also think that sort of on a, you know, on one of those jet sweeps, right, uh, where you've got the, 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 the wide out in motion quarterback kind of you know, in the shotgun pushes the ball to him. Well, right. that's a forward pass. That guy can stop and throw it. 
And we think those are just kind of fun plays. Will they make a massive difference in our game? I doubt it. Uh, But, you know, we might see one every now and then, every other game. Who knows? Uh, But we think uh, we think it's it's something that'll be that'll be fun and fans will like it. And it'll lead to this, you know, high scoring, up tempo, fast paced game that we like. Yeah, I like that. And the second one, I've just got three that I want to ask quickly about the three point conversions. Yeah, so this is uh, this is really all about strategy. So you score a touchdown yeah. in the XFL, you get six points, right? We understand that. And then you have three options. You can go for one, you can go for two, or you can go for three. They're all plays from scrimmage. There's no kicking uh, in terms of the extra points. And, okay. and you know, the, this, the idea is that this is just strategy injected into every decision you make after a touchdown you know what do you do you go for one you go for two or do you go for three we think it'll help teams you know get back into the game when they're down right three score game might just be a two score game now Uh, but i think most importantly we think it just adds more strategy and puts the the coach in, in a sense on the hot seat to decide do i go for one which is a play from the you know play from scrimmage from the two yard line do i go for two play from scrimmage from the five-yard line, or do I roll the dice and go for three, which is a play from scrimmage from the 10-yard line? Mm. What do we like to do as fans? We're all Monday morning quarterbacks. We like to, you know, second-guess every head coach, just like we all second-guessed Kyle Shanahan today, right? Right. So uh, we think that'll just be sort of a fun thing that fans can, uh, you know, can follow and, and, and second-guess their coaches. Anytime I think you can bring – you know, more strategy into football. And it's a game that's already got, I think, the best strategy of all sports. I think it's just, uh, that's good for fans. Yeah, and speaking of which, segues right into the last uh, change I want to talk about, which is, I guess you call it the comeback period with two minutes left in the second quarter, two minutes left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so we, we, we studied closely uh, the CFL. And, uh, in fact, Doug Flutie, you know, who, of course, played quarterback yeah. both in the NFL and in the CFL, really uh, worked with us closely on this. I wanted somebody that had, had played in both leagues. And basically our two-minute at the half, two-minute end of the game resembles the three-minute in the CFL um, where they stop the clock. Hmm. And you can get, you know, an average of about 16 to 17 to 18 plays you know, in that two-minute period in the CFL, it's even more. So Doug said that he, he could be down two scores and have no worries about scoring twice, uh, you know, with only three minutes left because of the way the clock operated. Of course, there are three down games, so it's a little bit different. Uh, but we, uh, you know, we, we've got a running clock basically during the, you know, the first quarter and the first 13 minutes of the second quarter. Uh, you know, the clock will stop only when the, while the ball is being spotted. We've got a referee that does nothing but spot the ball. But then the last two minutes, we call it the comeback period. And uh, it just gives uh, a lot of time to a team that might be down because we think that last two minutes, like last night, you know, can be a very fun uh, part of the game. So we, we, we tested all of these changes. We worked with a bunch of junior colleges and semi-pro leagues. And, of course, we just finished three weeks of training camp in Houston with all eight of our teams where we went, went through all these, uh, all these sort of innovations. And, you know, we think they all make sense. Uh, we're excited to watch them in play. Uh, who knows? We might have made a mistake, and we're certainly, uh, you know, uh, I guess bright enough to know that we're not infallible. You know, so we uh, we, we can go back at the end of the year if we made a mistake and, and retweak the, a, a rule. Uh, but we're kind of excited about it because I think they're they're all things that again aren't gimmicks, but are sort of grounded in a solid rationale. 
Yeah, they sound really interesting. And you mentioned the running clock, except for the last two minutes of uh, second and fourth quarters. What do you anticipate the game time to be and how much of that was discussed with your network partners? Oh, all of this was discussed uh, in, in, in depth with our network partners. So, um, it's a it's a what I would call a modified running clock. So, uh, if if uh, if if Andrew Brandt's the ball carrier and you run a sweep and you run a, out of bounds, the clock will mm-hmm. stop until that ball is spotted, which we think is about that lasts about five seconds between you going out of bounds and the ball being spotted and the the play clock as well as the game clock starting again. So it's a modified running clock. You know, but our goal is to have about 170 plays, which is the average uh, in an NFL game, uh, to have the game be done in about two hours and 50 minutes. So we're really trying to stay under that three-hour mark. And what it what it will resemble, I think, for football fans, for college fans, will be, you know, sort of what you get, what you see when you you know watch a Big 12 game. Hal Mummy is our offensive coordinator for uh, for the Dallas Renegades. Bob Stoops is the head coach. He hired Hal. Football folks will know Mummy is the architect of the air raid offense. You know, he was Mike Leach before Mike Leach was Mike Leach. <laughs> and you know, Hal will uh, run probably a play every you know 16, 17 seconds. Just very fast, very fast tempo. June Jones is like that. He's our head coach in Houston. Norm Chow is the offensive coordinator in L.A. You know, Norm's known for that. So as we, you know, put together our, our staffs, you know, I, I really wanted to emphasize guys who not only knew how to play fast, but were very comfortable with it, right? That's that's their identity. That's what they like to do. So it's going to be, I think, without question, a very up-tempo, fast-paced game. And talk about your network partners and where you can be seen and how often, et cetera. Sure. So we have relationships with uh, contractual relationships with Fox, with uh, Dis- and Disney. Of course, Disney owns the owner of, of ESPN and of ABC. So we have 43 games, 40 regular season games, and then three postseason games. And every one of those games will be on national television, either on ABC and, and Big Fox uh, or on ESPN and FS1, fully distributed cable. So uh, we'll play two games every Saturday afternoon and very much like the uh, you know college football we've got a game for example this Saturday one at 2 p.m. east one at 5 p.m. east and then we'll have uh, two Sunday afternoon games again very much like uh, the NFL uh, you know two midday games one you know around about two o'clock and one uh, a little bit later uh, four or five o'clock so uh, we tried to mimic as best we could both sort of the college viewing habits of fans as well as the you know, the NFL viewing habits. People are accustomed, you know, to sitting down in Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, watching good football, and we believe we can offer it to them. Yeah, and as you and I were talking before we came on, the, the sort of the, the national withdrawal period depression, <laughs> as you referenced a couple times, we're recording this the day after the Super Bowl. It's about to set in, and you're going to take advantage of that. And as we discussed, it is the the most popular sport in America, but the NFL has the longest offseason of any major sport. And so you have picked a right time to jump in. Yeah, you know, it's always struck me as a, as a good bit of irony that, you know, our favorite sport is the shortest in terms of yeah. its season. I mean, of course, maybe, you know, it's the favorite sport because it's a pretty physical sport that obviously takes a lot out of you. Uh, but, uh, you know, the research that we have done with, these 6,000 football fans, you know, indicates that, you know, these diehard fans are willing to watch 
tune in, go to games. It's got to be good football. I mean, they know what good football looks like. You would appreciate this as a fellow lawyer. People often ask me, well, what are your metrics, you know, to determine if it's good or not? And I say, well, kind of reminds me of that old Potter Stewart line, the old Supreme Court justice. No, when he I had a it. First Amendment case in front of him, you know, and he was asked to define obscenity. And Justice Stewart said, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> and I think, you know, uh, these football fans, all of us will know good football when we see it. You know, the, the American football fans, pretty, pretty intelligent. You know, he or she knows what a good game looks like and what, you know, close, well-played, fun, exciting game looks like. So, uh, that's, that's our goal. Yeah. Speaking of which I ha- I'd be remiss not to ask. So a year ago on this day or day before day after I had on this podcast, Charlie Eversall talking about a league that was starting exact same time a year ago, saying a lot of the same things about filling the void for football and getting the best players not in the NFL. You don't have to say anything about any other any other specific league, but why will this league succeed where others have failed? Yeah, so first I think it's fair to acknowledge that that you know there there have been a number of spring leagues, uh, you know, some that have lasted a while like our old organization, yep. you know, NFL Europe, others others uh, not. So I, I look and, and see four things that, that I think are, are, will, will differentiate us. One is, is Vince. Um, he's, right. he's provided us the resources you know, to, to launch this thing. And most importantly, he's given us the, the resources to, to take the time to plan, right? You can't rush in. You and I both know a lot about rushing into you know, right. uh, brand-new football leagues. We've, I've been on the job for a year and a half, and there have been others who have been on it uh, longer than I have putting it all together. So I think that's the first reason. The second reason is the power of our broadcast partners. There's never been a league, a startup league, that's you know, launched with the visibility we have. The third reason I, I mentioned briefly, and that is I think the game has been elevated. I think the, the game of professional football and college, for that matter, is at an all-time high. And the players that uh, that are available to us are just really darn good. I look at a guy like you know Sammy Coates. He's playing for the Houston Roughnecks. You know, third round draft choice back in 2016, I think, out of Auburn by the Steelers. Yeah. He bounced around, played with a couple of different teams. I look at this guy and think, gosh, I'm so happy he's in our league. But he's 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 a stud. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He catches everything. So I think the talent uh, level is is you know higher uh, than it's ever been for a league like ours. Uh, and the third thing, I, the fourth thing I'll, I'll say is we made uh, a concerted effort to sign the best quarterbacks we possibly could. Obviously, we're not going to sign an Aaron Rodgers or you know right. a Pat Mahomes. We cannot compete you know with the NFL in that in that regard. Uh, but we you know tried to get uh, you know experienced guys who played in NFL games, won NFL games. Uh, because those guys know how to, you know, play. They know how to be a leader. They know how to, you know, sort of structure a, lo- a locker room in terms of leadership. So, you know, guys like Landry Jones and Matt McGloin and Josh Johnson, these are guys who played and won, you know, NFL games. So we think our caliber of quarterback play is about as good as we can possibly get it, again, given the resources that we have. So I think all of those ingredients kind of mixed up in a big bowl of gumbo, um, I think, you know, and getting good coaches, you know, I, I, I guess I should add a fifth, you know, whether it's Bob Stoops or Mark Trestman who won a couple of great cups or June Jones who won a great cup up in Canada or, you know, Pep Hamilton, longtime 
offensive coordinator, you know, NFL and major college level. Winston Moss, great player back in the day who had the good sense to hire Norm Chow to run his offense. You know, we tried to really attract uh, uh, the best coaches that we could, again, given, you know, given the resources. So I think given all of that, uh, we've got as good of a chance to succeed as anybody's ever had. Side note, my next door neighbor in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Winston Moss. <laughs> so, there you go. Well, Small you know the type of character he is. He's a he's an absolute uh, hoot. His players yeah. love him. Uh, he's put a good group together out in L.A. And when I interviewed you, you'd like this. When I sat down to interview him, uh, we met in Milwaukee, and it was maybe about you know 16 degrees. And <laughs> yeah. he looked at me and he said, "Mr. Luck, I would really, really appreciate you getting <laughs> me out of Green Bay so I can go somewhere warm." Because <laughs> he was up there for gosh, what? 12, oh, 13, yeah. 14 years with uh, Coach yeah. McCarthy. Yeah, the McCarthy era, like 13 years. Um, yeah. In our final moments here, just want to the, the sort of the now I bring in you and I both lawyers here. So single entity format like we had back in the World League. And, and what about player contracts? Are they committed for a number of years and do they get out with NFL interest? So we signed 99.9% of our players to one-year contracts. Uh, those contracts will expire at the end of our season, right at the end of our league year, you know, following the championship game. Uh, if, if a player has an opportunity to take advantage of an NFL roster spot, you know, to be one of the 90 going to camp, that, that's fine. They can, they can do that. Uh, we um, think that it made sense to allow those players to take advantage of NFL opportunities because that, I think, raises the level of the quality of the, of the type of player who's interested in our league. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we, we did that. Um, it is a single entity system. Vince uh, owns the entire uh, league, you know, all, uh, all 100% of it. Uh, I effectively, as the commissioner, uh, am responsible for you know the football component and the head coaches, so in a sense I have to act like a, a, a local owner when it comes to football decisions, right? So if a coach goes you know one and nine and and uh, you know zero oh and ten, you know that we, we probably know what that means, right. you know. Um, but you know at the end of the day, um, it, it's owned owned and operated by Vince, and, and the ability to make quick decisions, right? With a startup, you've got to be able to make quick. Uh, hopefully good decisions, you know, it's made so much easier when, when there's really just one, uh, one source of truth. And that is Vince, uh, as opposed to having, you know, eight different owners when then you've got competition committees and television committees and all that sort of work. It, it, it makes things very streamlined, which, uh, much like NFL Europe was a real blessing. Right. And when you talk about players, you mentioned some names there, would you guys go for the quote unquote name Maybe if it's not the right fit, and of course these are the these are the questions where you get. I'm sure you've answered a thousand times about names like Colin Kaepernick or Johnny Manziel or any big name that's kind of out of football. Well, I'll I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll give you a short story, and this may be indicative of where we'd rather start to you know spend our our time and effort. Mm -hmm. We have a player playing for the St. Louis BattleHawks named Kenny Robinson. He played defensive back at West Virginia his freshman year, was a starter, played his sophomore year, all Big 12 safety. And uh, his third year would have been the season that just finished, right? Uh, he was right. not able to play his third season because of academics, was declared ineligible by the NCAA. So he's eligible for the 2020 NFL draft in April, uh, but uh, he signed with us. 
and is effectively using the the XFL season as his combine. Uh, A number of the scouting services had him rated very high, you know, potential first, second round pick. Uh, But he, I think, realized that he needed to continue to play. He needed to get a little bit more taped, you know, to improve his skill set, needed to play that third year. And uh, so I think that's a fascinating sort of case of a young man who, you know, is betting on himself, right? That playing uh, a full season of 10 games or maybe 11 or 12, if they make it to the, you know, uh, to the playoffs um, and is getting tape, you know, he's got all the scouts of, of, of every NFL team can look at him, et cetera, you know, much more indicative of how uh, he plays football than just going through the combine, right? So that's something that uh, we're watching very closely and we'll monitor. And uh, who knows, that could become a little bit of a model for folks who you know, may have only played one year of college ball or may have gotten hurt and only played a year and a half and who just need you know, some additional game tape uh, to you know, prove what kind of a player they are. So you have no limits on or restrictions on coming out of college after one year, two years, et cetera? That, that's, that's correct. So as you know, Andrew, the, you know, the NFL's eligibility requirement, three years out of high school, that's baked in the collective bargaining right. agreement. And right. we're, not a, we're not a party to that. Now, who knows? The NFL may change that. I mean, they're going through right. their CBA negotiations, I guess, right now, right? right. Uh, so they, they could change that. Uh, I haven't heard much discussion about that point. Probably not a, a real hot-button topic. But theoretically, you know, we could, we could if, a, if a kid who's a freshman – who, for whatever reason, was disgruntled with his coach or got kicked out of school or whatever, uh, you know that that's that's a, a you know a player that we could certainly take a look at, and if, and if we think he's one of the best, <laughs> you know, 420 players or in the in the country not signed uh, to an NFL or CFL contract, then gosh, we would probably sign him. It's been great. I know I got to let you go time wise. I, I got to ask, how's Andrew doing in retirement? How's he liked it? He loves it. <laughs> I bet. I uh, bet. He's, uh, thank you for asking. He's doing fine. He uh, he and his wife had their first baby about I guess two and a half three months ago. Uh, he's healthy, you know, enjoying it. No, you know, no no regrets. Still follows the game. You know, in fact, he's been a little bit of a sounding board for me. You know, if I've got a question about yeah. this or that with with our league, uh, I, I'll, I'll give him a call and let him weigh in. I mean, he knows as you'd suspect him bunch of the guys in our league because most of our virtually all of our players have had some experience with with the nfl particularly the quarterbacks he you know knows landry well landry mm-hmm. jones and josh johnson who spent a little bit of time on the colts in fact one of the you know we signed a number of guys who had, had considerable uh, time on, on you know, nfl practice squads one of those guys is named philip walker played uh in, at temple you may remember him yeah and was uh was about a two maybe a three-year uh, you know, the P squad quarterback for the Colts. And Andrew said, Hey dad, if you can you know, get Phillip to, uh, to commit, he's a hell of a player. He, he can, he moves around. He's smart, he's a good <laughs> kid, good leadership. In fact, I asked Andrew to give him a couple of phone calls to encourage him to consider our <laughs> offer. And he's now fighting uh, for the starting spot with Connor cook down f- with June Jones. So yeah. uh, he's been a little bit, Andrew's been a little bit of a, of an unofficial advisor to me. Sounds like he's one of your scouting directors as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the guys guys that are close to the game, they they never they never really leave the game. It all sticks with you, you know. So, I'm sure yeah. in some form or fashion, no matter what he does, even though he's got an architecture degree and and all of that, I think he may, you know, still somehow stay close to the game as he should. Yeah. 
So you're saying if uh, you have a couple quarterbacks go down in a certain team, the commissioner's not going to call uh, his informal scouting director to come back and play? <laughs> uh, I don't think I would do that. Well, I could do that. I think I know what the answer would be. Though. Yeah. <laughs> and good for him, as I talked about in my columns earlier this year, my podcast, I just think he'll he'll find and probably already has found quite a fuller life for himself, uh, knowing Andrew as I do. Well, you know, it's uh, I, I've always, uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit, I've always admired the guys like Luke Keekley who decide yeah. on their own terms when they want to go out. You know, a lot of us, like myself as players, we were told when our careers were over. You were retired, period. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I think there's a generation of guys who are, you know, I think more aware of, you know, the health risks. And let's be honest, you know, I was just down at Super Bowl, uh, you know, and you see a lot of the, you know, former players as they get into their 50s, 60s, uh, you know, it it takes a toll, right? So I think there are guys now who, you know, because the money's so big as well, they're able to step back and retire and, and they can do that in their own terms. And I think that's a very healthy thing, right? You're, you're not being told, you know, your career is over. You decide, you know, on your own. And I think that's not a bad way to go out, right? You always, not you know, the, the, what's that old, you know, showbiz saying? You always leave them, you know, wanting a little bit more. And <laughs> uh, right. I think that's that's true of sport as well. I always, I, I, as a kid, I grew up in Cleveland. And uh, Jim Brown was our hero, right? Every, every little yeah. kid wanted to wear number 32 and be Jim Brown and, you know, I remember my parents saying, oh, my gosh, Jim Brown retired. You know, he was such a great player. It's the peak of his career. And, of course, he went into the acting business. But, uh, you know, Jim Brown uh, left fans, you know, wanting a little bit more. And that's not a bad way to go out. Yeah, I just came back from Super Bowl, too. And I just remember seeing him the other night and just this crowd gathering around as he sat in his oh, yeah. uh, his chair. It was almost like a uh, they were seeing a uh, Hope Diamond, the way they crowded around him. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I keep whenever I think about you know leaving the game, guys who leave the game early, I think about Earl Campbell, who was down yeah. there as well. And you know, gosh, Earl played hard and you know didn't play that long of a career in part because of you know the health care that was available back then. But uh, he, he's in tough physical shape, you know, yeah. and he's not yeah. enjoying. I think you know those those golden years that uh, everybody should should enjoy, and I, I mean you know the your fifties and sixties and seventies. Yeah, it's just so. Is football such a small slice of life? I try to tell guys, I'm sure as you do too, that not even to look at it as a career, but look at it as a head start to a career, and you're a shining example of that. Well, I used I, I would tell my student athletes all the time at West Virginia, and I would say this to you know any any college football player, and I, I I suppose this is true of other sports. I'd say, you know, view yourself as a a good student who really happens to play football, uh, as opposed to the opposite, a football right. player who happens to be a student, right? And even when you get into the NFL, you know, view yourself as a good businessman who happens to be able to make you know, a bunch of money playing a sport you love as opposed to right, the opposite, because that, that'll keep it in perspective and, you know, will give you a sense of, of when the right time to, you know, to step down and, and start the rest of your life. I mean, imagine Andrew's 30 years old, uh, you know, he, he, he he's a flip phone. He's the kind of kid who doesn't spend a whole lot of money. So he's got you know, a, a healthy bank account and, you know, you can start on a career and, yeah. you know, you can spend probably 35 to 40 years, you know, doing something fundamentally different that, you know, that gives you the same sort of pleasure and satisfaction as, as playing, you know, playing in the NFL did. That, that's pretty special. Not many people have that opportunity. 
It is indeed. Oliver's been great as always. Just you and I, when we talk, it's like we're just picking up from the last time we talked. Uh, Bruce, That's right. on the podcast, encourage everyone to watch the XFL starting this weekend. Our long depression about the football being over can be answered starting this weekend. Look forward to seeing it. And thanks for coming on, Oliver. Andrew, my pleasure as always. Have a great one. Thanks, my friend. All right. Talk to you soon. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Oliver. You know, when I get together with him, it's just like we kept talking from the last time we were talking so much. He does a great sales job for the XFL, but he speaks in terms of a real football guy and what he thinks people like. The running clock, the moving, getting into the two-hour and 50-minute game, and, of course, things like the three-point conversion along with the two-and-one-point conversion. Things like the kick, the kickoff, uh, the punts where the gunners can't move till the punt's made. Things like, of course, the uh, comeback period at the end, where the clock continually stops and get so many more plays in. Things like the 25-second clock, you want action, and we're going to see it, if it works or not. Again, the AF, I had those people on a year ago, it didn't work, but uh, I give this much more, much more of a chance than the AF, primarily because of the funding and the people like Oliver. Uh, the funding is there. Vince McMahon just cashes out some stock. And there's plenty of funding, and it's one investor rather than multiple. So we'll see where it goes in the XFL. I'm excited to see it. It's got the TV partners. It's got the people that we've heard of, maybe not in the players, but certainly the coaches. And we will get to know these players. I'm giving it a shot. So you give it a shot to the XFL. Uh, that's my take. Now a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. A lot going on to work with this week. You know, you've got the NBA scheduled key games throughout the week. You've got the Philly at Milwaukee. What a game that is. Houston's at the Lakers. College basketball key games coming up. My school, Villanova, Seton Hall is coming in there this weekend. And, of course, you've got the UFC, Jones versus Reyes. What a fight on Saturday. So visit betonline.ag. Don't forget that promo code, PopCast1. Your 50% sign-up bonus today. Visit betonline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Appreciate those who follow me on Twitter and leave any rankings or comments at Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. For those who do that, tell your friend about it. Tell everyone you know about the Business of Sports podcast. We try to be unique. We try to be different. Thanks to the music of one Sam Brandt and, of course, my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.